Episode 15, Scott Miller, President of Bowman Construction. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. All right, and we're live on Gut Plus Science. You know, the time we take on this show is intended to help leaders connect with their employees and inspire them to bring their greatest force to work every day because they feel meaning to do so. Today's guest is one I saw passionately speak about the power of having an employee-first organization and what that truly does to impact the bottom line of a business. So I went and tracked him down, and he was more than happy to come and share his most recent leadership learnings. So before we bring him on, I've got a couple of stats, my latest research on talent. So 83% of employees who have responsibilities in their job that tie back to their personal meaning are more likely to stay at their current employer. Managers who are trained in purpose and meaning prove over 20% higher team engagement and less turnover than those who do not have training in purpose and meaning. Pretty powerful stuff. So today, we're going to learn from a company president with meaningful life experience at his core, and this reflects in all of the organizations that he's led. With nearly two decades of leading organizations in the president seat of various organizations, we have a lot to learn from Scott Miller. Today, when he is not coaching high school basketball, which is his dream and passion, he is developing his team members at Bowman Construction as their new owner, another big passion of his. So we're going to dive right in with Scott, but first, let's hear from one of our fabulous sponsors. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. Scott, welcome to the show. So you know we are all about helping leaders help their people love Mondays. How do you define employee engagement and why are you so passionate about it? One of the things that I believe is so important is getting our teammates to be able to be actively involved in the business. And for me, it all started a long time ago. I I read a book called The Great Game of Business, and um, I do a lot of coaching uh, at the high school level for sports as well. And so it talked a lot about keeping score and keeping score in everything that you do, but that takes the employees to be a part, I call them teammates instead of employees, but it it makes it necessary for my teammates to really be plugged into what we have going on on a daily basis. And I'm passionate about it because most of my life I've spent as an employee running companies for families or other people. And I understand what it can be like to be disengaged personally uh, from even as as a leader in the business. And so I think for businesses to be successful um, in today's world, we have to have employees who almost treat the business like it's their own business, um, as if they're an owner. And so I'm really excited to be able to spend some time with you today to to talk about some of these topics. 
Yeah, me too, definitely. And I love you're talking about actively involved. You know, at at um, in my world, we call that bringing your greatest force to work. So just so much synergy there. And you said we call our people teammates. So I'd love to dive into when you say actively involving your teammates, what would be like the one or two things that you would advise one of your leaders to get that started? One of the things that we do is we try to compensate our team around gross profit. And for me, I grew up as, as an accountant with an accounting background. So I tend to understand numbers uh, pretty well, but oftentimes really talented people on our team don't necessarily have that background. And yet it's so important for us to be able to teach them why certain things are really important and how it impacts gross profit. So in each of the businesses that I've been a part of for probably the last 15 to 20 years, we have shaped compensation plans around gross profit. And the reason is that we believe, and I believe, that the thing that most employees can make a difference in from a financial perspective is the gross profit. And so it's one of the ways that we can teach them business or what I would refer to it as the great game of business and how everyone impacts that particular number and how they can be rewarded for positively impacting it. And I heard you talk in in that short answer there about the why, and we're going to definitely be diving into that a lot deeper. I know you and I both share a passion around helping employees find the why to tie into those metrics of the business. So I know excitedly you just purchased a new business, Bowman Construction. So how important was it to understand the culture of that business during the buying process? It's a huge deal. And any company that I look to... I've got several different acquisition targets right now, and it's incredibly important to me to understand culture. And culture can mean a lot of things, and it's kind of a buzzword today, so a lot of people talk about it. But for me, the culture at Bowman was one. It's a company that's been around since 1895, so every company has a culture, whether you want it to or not. But theirs was incredibly positive. Uh, The people liked each other. They've been very successful from a financial perspective. And my goal uh, when I came in was to find ways, how could I keep all of those people engaged moving forward and excited to be a part of a new team and a new ownership structure? So as I interviewed people from the team, they, they were very kind. They let me have access to their employees before the acquisition was completed. And it showed me a lot about how they had been so successful already. And what we wanted to do was keep that culture intact. And so I've asked the previous owners to be a part of any new hire uh, that we bring in. I want them to talk to those people and make sure that they fit the culture of the company before we hire anybody. So it's really important to me. And and I just happen to be fortunate enough to, to inherit a really great culture at Bowman. And I'd want to go back to your process in buying the business, just because I know it's just a recent thing. And so you've got a lot of this knowledge top of mind. A couple of strategies that you use to assess the culture during the buying process. I heard you say that you interviewed employees because the previous owners were very open to you coming in and talking with employees and getting to know them. And you asked for the previous owners to give you the the yes that they would be 
part of your process in bringing in new employees in the future. So they're in that with you now. What else are some of the, what are the other ways that you assess the culture and set up strategy in the buying process? So a lot of mine is intuition and gut fill, but somebody once told me all things being equal, people do business with people they like. And all things not being equal, people still do business with people they like. And I love that. So I look for likability factors. You know, a lot of times people talk about the national elections or even local elections. It's who would you most want to go have a drink with out in the backyard and and just chat with, you know, and those people who are the most likable almost always win uh, a presidential election, national election, even a local election. And so I look at the same thing. If I was to purchase construction services, or if I were to purchase construction services from a firm, who would I most want to do that with? And the team at Bowman, incredibly likable people. They care about each other. They care about their families. Um, They care about their community. They want the community that they operate within to be successful. And they're just fun to be around. So those were the things that I wanted to get a feel for. And as we look to bring on new people, we want to make sure that they fit within that same likability factor. So, Scott, I'd love to hear, you know, what are some of the proactive measures you've taken to begin building trust and, you know, getting that buy-in from employees as their new leader? Previous to my being there, and and there wasn't a lot of change that I wanted to bring. I've told people I'm only good at three things, and people may even disagree with these three things, but if I'm not doing one of these three things, you probably don't want me doing it in an organization, but I'm really good at turnarounds, so if a company's been losing money, I've tended to be able to find ways to make companies profitable. Second thing I'm really good is at growing businesses, and the third one is recruiting people, and so this plays into one of my strength areas, I think, is is that buy-in and trust and getting that from our both our current employees as well as potential new employees. So one of the first things that we did is we began having a daily meeting with all of our key leaders in our business just to find out what they needed help with that particular day, what they had in front of them that day or that week, and how I could take away any barriers that they might have, or at least try to to take away those barriers? Or was there anybody else around the table that they could help or that could help them? So I think that was a a really big first step. It was something that they hadn't been doing, even though they'd been very successful. It was kind of a top-down leadership model previously, and we've tried to make it much more collaborative. And then once a month, we meet for four hours with our key teammates, and we talk about how do we be a better spouse or a better significant other or a better parent or how do we improve our health, you know, or whatever those topics might be that are important to our team. We spend four hours, we call it our, our work forum group. And everything we talk about in there is completely confidential. They can share anything that they want to. And um, I think that's really helped build a bond with our employees. That's great. I'd love to dive in just a little bit further. You had talked about, you know, hey, I'm good at three things. And we continue to hear about the talent war challenge that is out there right now and just unemployment being at an all-time low and recruiting just being so hard. If I don't dive into this question, I'm sure a number of people will just be you know, sending me messages. Okay, we want to learn from Scott on what's he doing with recruiting. So 
any ideas you can throw out there on how to get more opportunities coming in as far as new applicants or just best practices on recruiting that come top of mind? With us, one of the first things that I did, and this may even go back to gaining trust and buy-in from our employees, they hadn't really been engaged in the interview process for previous people, but I've asked each of them who we should be going after that they know of because they've been in this industry and they've been in this uh, geography for quite a while. And they were the ones that often bring me the best opportunities. And I think I found that throughout my tenure in business is that your employees, or as I like to call them teammates, my teammates are the best people to be able to bring on new teammates. I go back to coaching the high school level or coaching any sport, team sport, you can have some really, really talented people or really incredibly individual talented people, but your team can get destroyed by bringing one of those people on if they don't fit. And so I try to find people that our team already likes and they say, you know what, we, we need to have this person on our team. And then it's my job, as well as the rest of the teams, to find ways to excite that person about our, our organization and most of the time with our organizations, we're growing and we're looking to grow. And people want to be a part of teams that are growing and that are winning. Yeah. And not to belabor this point too much, but I, we keep getting you know reiteration that our people are the best to recruit for us because they're also helping us find that cultural fit as well. When you said that you're tasking your teammates to help you with this, does that look like you're sitting down and brainstorming with them on new candidate ideas or you regularly send them like a reminder on this? Like, how are you staying top of mind to make sure they're thinking of this or you don't even need to do that? It's just naturally happening. No, I think it, it so because they haven't been involved in it, we talk about it often. So it probably seems to me like I'm communicating it a lot, but I've learned from and heard from other people that the more that you talk about things, the easier it is for people to realize what's important. And so we talk about our, you know, in a construction industry, you have different needs that come up based on the sales that you have and where do we need people from an operational perspective. And so we're constantly talking about our team and where we need to plug holes that, that we may see coming. And so we talk about it every day in those meetings that I talked about. So those meetings generally last only 20 to 30 minutes and they're really sales focused. But as a part of that sales process, then we say, okay, well, if we get this, then how are we going to perform it? And that's where the teammates uh, really buy into it and they've been able to, and it's interesting the the newer teammates are the ones that are coming to us with a lot more ideas about people who are out there just because they were looking and they knew a whole different sphere of people than the people who've been on our team for 30 years. So we're really plugging into our newer teammates, but then allowing our more mature teammates or longer tenured teammates to have an impact on who we hire and does this person really fit. That's such a great empowerment strategy too, saying we really care about what you think on who we're going to hire. I like that a lot. Um, one of the other things is I just read an article that said, that a message doesn't start to stick until the 12th time that our people have heard it. 
I was like, wow, I knew it was high, but you just, you're reiterating that again, that, you know, you're, you just constantly bringing this up. Like, you know, it, of course, but we've got to just constantly communicate to make sure that these things are top of mind. So thank you so much for that point. I want to go into some topic that we haven't yet brought on the show. I know a large majority of your people are union employees, and I'd like to know what unique dynamic, if any, does that bring to your employee engagement strategy? I'm not sure if it is unique in the construction industry. I know there are plenty of non-union firms out there, but for us, whether an employee is a union employee or a non-union employee, we want them to feel a part of our family. So we try to limit the differentiation between our union employees and our non-union employees, and we just want them to be our teammates. And once again, I think that if people feel, and you can't be fake about this, so that's the the interesting thing. So you can't just talk about being a part of a family, or you can't just say, hey, you're on our team. There's an innate way that people feel uh, when you interact with them, and they know if you really care about them. So we just try to care about our people. We try to care about their families. You know, everybody's going through tough times at some point in their life, and it's at those times are we there for them. You know, if there's a, a death in the family or if somebody's really sick in your family, and how do we come around people and encourage them, um, help them, and just be there for people um, whenever they're going through difficult times? And whenever you are doing that and you begin to build that as part of who you are and your DNA, then other people are attracted to that. People want to be loved and they want to be cared for. Um, and they don't often find that, I don't think, and I didn't often find it in the workplace. But we spend more time at work than we do with our families. And so it's really important to me that, that our team knows that we care about them, not just for what they can do for us at work, but, but for who they are as people. I'd love to hear from you when it comes to bringing this culture that has a true family feel authentically. How would you get started in helping them to bring a platform that helps their team members feel like they're personally interested in them? They're, you know, providing coaching and a family feel. Any thoughts around that? It comes back to that four-hour session that we do once a month with our forum group because, I mean, we've had people already you know, people are crying, they're laughing in those meetings, because when people begin to share personal stories and you really touch their hearts, it can get to people. And I think it's, it is uncomfortable at times for people who haven't experienced that. But we want to be open to hearing people share their stories and tell their stories. And I think that if we set that example, and we live it, it will naturally flow down as those people then take it to uh, the level where they're most connected at. Scott, could you break down just um, like what does the agenda look like in that four-hour meeting? Is it the same every time? Yeah, so I learned this through a group called Young Presidents Organization. So I've been a member of that group since 2004, and I've been a part of a forum group which um, was just somewhat randomly put together. But there are 10 business leaders or presidents of organizations uh, in the state of Indiana. Mine all just happen to be in central Indiana. And we get together on a monthly basis. So part of what you do in those meetings is the very first thing is we have some type of an icebreaker or a way to just kind of feel out where everybody's coming from at that particular moment. And so we have a specific way that we go about doing that. The next group meeting that I have with um, my team at Bowman, we're going to use a, a game called the Ungame. 
and it's a group of cards, but basically it's ways to get to know people in a deeper way. So there's a question on each card, and they have to answer that question, and that allows us to be able to, to kind of get to know where people are at at that particular moment. Then we move into people can share for five minutes, and we try to time it so that it stays within that five-minute time block. But for five minutes, each individual can share the best things that's happened in their life in the last month from a work standpoint, from a personal standpoint, from a family standpoint, best and worst. And then what are the things that they're looking forward to or dreading in the next 30 days? And once again, that really helps us get to know, you know where somebody's at. You know, are they having a tough time with their child, maybe dealing with some drug issue or they may be battling out something with their spouse? And that's where I think you really get to know people. So we spend, that could take up to an hour of time just going through that. And then we have a, a time where we've kind of already done some homework and people have said, hey, here's something that's really important to me. And so we have them present on it. It may be something like, hey, I, I need to be in better shape or better health. And so they kind of present, you know, here's where I've been at and here's where I want to be. And then if they're open to feedback from the group, the group can provide them feedback and share stories and say, hey, you know, here's something that I've done in my life that's helped me. You know, I've chosen to eat better. I've chosen to exercise more. And then at the end, then we usually uh, open up some time. And that presentation time can take from anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half. We have some breaks in there, of course. But then at the end, we come back to you know, what should the next session look like. And maybe we get some business things in there as well. You know, here's our schedule calendar items for the next six months. So that's kind of a breakdown of it. I could send out a sample agenda to you and you can send it out to the people on the podcast if you'd like me to. Really helpful. Thank you. Scott, if you could give leadership advice to your 10-year younger self now that you've been in a leadership seat for you know over two decades, what would that advice be? I probably would have taken more risk uh, than I did 10 years ago. And, and when I say that, I've had run businesses or organizations for other people um, instead of doing it on my own. And, being, and I always ran them as if I owned the business. So that was a positive for me that when I bought a business, there wasn't a lot of mental change to that. But I wish I would have taken more risks and probably branched out on my own before I did. I think that's the advice I would have given myself. And what has been your recent aha moment in your leadership journey? I came across, somebody had recommended, I read all the time, uh, and somebody had recommended a book, and it's by, the author is Paul Bloom. He's a professor at Yale University, a psychology professor, but the book's title is called Against Empathy, and then the subtitle is The Case for Rational Compassion. And when I saw the title, I thought, well, everybody's for empathy. And even in the prologue to the book, it talks about, you know, if you say you're against empathy, it's like being against kittens. I mean, who, who doesn't like a, a kitten? But it's been fascinating. And his main thesis in the book is that empathy is a good tool, but it shouldn't be the only thing that we judge. And oftentimes, if we use empathy for our decision making, we can make really bad decisions. Um, because generally, empathy is about one individual versus the greater good. And so it's been really eye-opening for me to read that book and to think about, I, I think I'm a person with high empathy and how that's caused me to probably make bad decisions 
for our organization um, or for organizations that I've been a part of in the past because I get too tied into one individual and their feelings and I take those feelings on myself and the author says you have to have some distance in there in order to really make clear decisions versus getting tied in too much from an empathy standpoint to your team. Do you have an example of something that you've caught yourself stopping and doing differently or starting to do differently because of the book? In a free agent market like we're dealing in right now, oftentimes you can or I have made decisions to pay somebody more than what I probably should. And and when I say that, I, I begin to feel for them that maybe they've made poor financial choices in their personal life or um, they've come to me and said, hey, you know, here's why I need this money. And it's always their story. And yet that may not be in the best interest. Everybody always thinks it's in their best interest to make more money, but it may not be in the best interest of the entire team. And so you can really begin to spiral out of control because once you do that, then the next person is going to find out about that and they're going to come to you and have their own story and your costs can spiral quickly. And so that's kind of an area that I've had to say, I need to make sure that when I'm doing this, I'm doing it for the right reasons and because somebody's earned it versus because I'm sympathetic to their plight in life. So that's going back to the how do people add value and how we measure it as a, in our organization is oftentimes through gross profit. How are they impacting that gross profit number? And that way they can see a true return uh, for their labor uh, and for their efforts. Yeah, it kind of ties into the theme of our show around gut plus science. So you've got to have a mix. And it sounds like against empathy, which is such, such an intriguing title, by the way, is really a message to say, don't let your emotions take over as a leader. Like stop and truly think about the impact of this, you know, yes or no, you're about to say, make this decision and not let that emotion lead, you know, and it might, all, it, you know, your emotion might be the right thing, but taking more time to think through that. Sounds like a great book. Very intriguing. I can't believe how fast the time on these shows go. It's time for a quick sponsor break. And then we're going to come back to what I call the lightning round, where we get to learn just a little bit about you, Scott. So we'll be right back. Purplink's customized HR services will help you make your workspace joy-powered. Whether you're looking for help with recruiting, compliance, or leadership training, they listen to what you need and tailor their solutions to you. Check out purplinkllc.com. That's purpleinkllc.com to find out how they can help your business. And look for the Joy Powered Workspace podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, and we are back on Gut Plus Science with Scott Miller. And Scott, we're going to dive into what we call the lightning round because we want to learn a little bit more about you. Just real quick answers. Um, What's your favorite thing to do when you aren't working? I love playing golf. Anytime you can get me on the golf course, I am there. Fun fact about you. I mentioned it earlier, but I'm also a high school basketball coach. And when people ask me if there's anything that I could do, what would I do? I would be a high school basketball coach. And one book, I know you talked about a couple on here, but what's one book you would recommend today to our leaders who are listening? Yeah, well, the book came out in 2016, so it's not brand new, but it is that book, Against Empathy, and the author is Paul Bloom, and I would highly recommend it. And last question, for our listeners who want to get in touch with you to you know, elaborate or get some of that follow-up that you talked about or just connect with you, how can they reach you? Yep, so two ways. Um, one is my email address, which is smiller 
at bowmanconstructioninc.net, and Bowman is B-O-W-M-A-N. And then my cell phone, and I'm happy to take any calls, it's 317-339-1605. All right, and Scott, thanks again for such a great episode filled with so much good information. And now it's my job to summarize it into what we call the Truth You Can Act On section of Gut Plus Science, where we're giving some key takeaways, and we encourage you as listeners to take at least one thing back and start a conversation and do some brainstorming around one of these key topics to help move the needle on engagement in your workplace. So number one, likability is the key factor to look for in hiring. So starting your interview process with a personal meeting like dinner and maybe even including the family, like their spouse and kids, is a great way to get to know the person on a personal note before starting into skill set and things like that. Number two, don't let your emotions rule your decision-making process. I know that's super easy to do because we're human beings and we're emotional, but taking time to look at all aspects of the issue before making the decision and understanding that emotion is just one piece. So asking yourself, am I making this decision based on emotion or have I really looked at all of the different areas to make a true rational decision? And number three, tie the business into each team member's personal meaning. So helping your people discover their dreams, like having dream sessions with them and building a path for them to accomplish those dreams in the work that they're doing with your business. Such a great strategy. So that's the truth you can act on for today. And guys, that's Gut Plus Science. We'll see you next week. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.